0: We have a children's church today, so. Uh, but before they go, in the midst of all of this, there's celebration. There's a lot of things, joy. Uh, the Dorflingers have a new grandbaby. Uh, Matt and Elo have a, a, a marriage that has taken place, and we want to celebrate that with you all. And uh, we uh, we want to we want to be a part of all of that. Uh, so that's what it means to be the body of Christ. Uh, Umberto up here playing the drums. Today's his birthday. Um, Byron Johnson um, volunteered to to start playing up here. So opportunities, and we're grateful. We all benefit from when people start using their gifts. And so we want to encourage that. So the children can go with uh, Mrs. Langham for the Children's Church. They'll be joining us a little later. Today's Palm Sunday, the day Jesus rode into Jerusalem, and probably he was the only one in the group that knew it was for the last time. And I wonder—I'm um, going to be talking about this a little bit later. I wonder what was going on in his heart and mind as he was riding down from the Mount of Olives, down into the Kidron Valley, and up into the gates right beside the uh, the temple. Um, because he saw and he heard but he also knew what was in men's hearts and he knew what was coming Uh, had to have been a bittersweet experience for him Uh, this morning I'm going to give you quick three quick uh, two of them quick one of them a little longer cameo pictures here because this is a very very um, powerful thing in scripture as you read through the gospels More than half, more than half of all the gospel narratives deal with this last week. More than half. So that's telling you from the gospel perspective how important this week is. The events that took place, the teachings, the events that happened, um, the things that were said and done and experienced by people. And so it, 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 it takes more than half of the gospel is geared around these things. So just a couple of quick things before we get into um, the major thing I we'll want to share with you. The first thing is in when Jesus was born in Matthew chapter 2 verse 3 before he had done anything uh, while, that when he was born magi from the east came wise men looking for he who has been born king of the Jews later on when Jesus is in the presence of Pilate he's going to ask him if he's a king and he says for this reason I was born and he was born king of the Jews now what was the response when Herod the king heard this he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him so from the time of his birth the presence of Jesus was troubling to a lot of people and so the whole town was was upset because um, they knew Herod and they knew that he would perceive this as a threat. Later on, in chapter 21 of Matthew's Gospel, it says, When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. So at the beginning of his life, he created a ruckus, and at the end of his life, he created a ruckus. The whole city was, was stirred up. And Jesus wrote in that day. They were saying, Who is this? And the crowd says, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And they're going to find out that he's much more than a prophet. But the presence of Jesus at his birth and just before his death, his coming into Jerusalem created an uproar in the city. Oftentimes when he comes to us, the first thing that happens is it's a very disturbing thing when the Lord begins to speak to us. And that's rightly so. The second thing I want to just point out as a kind of a little um, cameo thing. This is from the Gospel of Luke. In Luke's Gospel, on the night Jesus was born, angels came to announce to the shepherds the birth of the Messiah. And what they said after they made the announcements and where to go and find it, the whole group of angels became visible. And they said, this is in Luke 2.14, they proclaimed, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so from heaven you have the voice proclamation, Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. In Luke 19, in the triumphal entry, as Jesus is drawing near to Jerusalem, uh, they're throwing the cloaks down, they've got the the branches of the palm trees and other other trees, laying them down, proclaiming with a loud voice. He's on his way down from the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. John says that just a, a short time before that, Lazarus had been raised, and many people from Jerusalem, because it was close... Um, knew about it. And so they joined in their testimony about the resurrection of the dead. And so it, lots of people were coming. They began to say, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And that was the proper response to the proclamation of the angels at the birth of Jesus. Peace on earth and glory to God in the highest peace in heaven and glory in the highest should have been our response. That was on Sunday. On Friday, they nailed their king to a cross. So that brings us to the third section that I want to share with you this morning. I want to take a little bit of time on this one. Jesus made more than one trip uh, to Jerusalem during the course of his life. Um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke concentrate and really only talk about one visit. John talks about three. And it's this first one I want to take a look at to begin with this morning. In John chapter 2, after the events up in Cana of Galilee, starting with verse 13, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in, Mark's go- in John's gospel, in John chapter 2 here, he has Jesus uh, cleansing the temple early. And John is the one that talks about him making a whip of cords and driving the, the uh, money changers and those who were buying and selling in the temple precincts drove them out. And uh, So, the response of this of course it upset the authorities quite a bit but verse 23 of chapter 2 tells us how the people responded to this now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing that's a tremendous thing, isn't it? Jesus doing miracles. He's cleansing the temple. He's, things are happening on around him. And it says when they saw that, many believed in his name. You remember the, um, the parables of the sower and the seed. And the thing, he has four different kinds of ground. Now, all four ground... All four types of ground received the same seed. And so the word was going forth. And Jesus tells us in his interpretation of it that the seed represents the word of God. And so here Jesus is on the Passover feast. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs of what he was doing, but, verse 24, Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now, I don't know what you feel about experiences. Experiences are great things, and we all need them as we come to know the Lord. But our walk with God is not a once-off event, is it? It's not just a hearing and believing initially. There has to be a commitment there. There has to be a living out. There has to be allowing that seed, that word of God, to be implanted deep to grow roots that are strong and powerful and as a result of that, it will produce fruit. And if there's no fruit, there's problems with the root. So here are people, and it says, it uses the same word consistently throughout the Gospel of John. These people saw what he was doing, they heard what he was saying, they believed in his name, but Jesus saw deep into their heart and he knew there was no commitment there and that it was just an experience, made them feel good. Christianity is more than a feel-good religion. Otherwise, uh, Lenin was right. Right? Uh, And Karl Marx, the opiate of the people, just there to make you feel good. It's more than that. So the question I have this morning for us as Christian people, does Christ entrust himself to you and to me? The same word about entrusting Paul uses consistently through the letters that he, he talks about. And when he talks about being entrusted, he talks about being called by God and entrusted with the word of life. Now if you're a believer and you know the Lord, he's entrusted you with that word. It's impacted your life and if you've received it, not just with a mental assent, not just for a once-off experience, but if you've received it deep into your heart and a transformation has taken place, then in turn, he entrusts you with the word of life. It becomes part of you. You receive that life yourself and then you impart it to other people. It's an amazing thing. Uh, Philip touched on it just a minute ago. Uh, Pat was dying and she knew it. But when people went to see her, she ministered life to them. God did that through her. And that's what he's called us to be. That's how he's called us to live. So Jesus knew what was in man. He didn't need anybody to witness about man. You know, we always, sometimes we have testimonials or... When we're applying for a job, it's good to have references, people to speak on your behalf. Jesus didn't need those references because he looked deep into our heart, into our soul, and he saw where our heart is. And that's what he's interested in. So Jesus was wise enough that this time when he was at Jerusalem on the Passover, at this Passover, he did not entrust himself to them because he knew, number one, the time wasn't right for him, and number two that their belief was very, very shallow. Uh, There are some people that, um, unless they feel some physical or emotional thing, they don't think the Lord's present. Well, God's more than a feeling. Uh, His promises go beyond um, our experiences. And so at the end of the day, there's going to be more and more and more experiences as we walk with the Lord. But those experiences need to impact us in such a way that we become different people as we, as we progress. Later on in John chapter 6, uh, Jesus by this time has become a very, uh, I guess we'd say he was famous. He had a reputation and people knew about it. And it was more than just words because people were coming some came out of curiosity to see if what they had been told was right some came out of necessity because they came expecting to receive something either a word that would transform and give their life meaning and hope and future or some experience of healing or fullness or people came for those reasons some came to accuse and to condemn can you imagine that? Coming to the house of God for the sole purpose of finding something to complain about. To accuse somebody else of. Because they don't do it the way I do it. Or, you know, this is the way it's supposed to be done. And so we we use the things of God to condemn and accuse. Now the condemnation and accusation is the job of Satan, not God. The Holy Spirit comes, he brings conviction. And conviction, what that does is it tells us the truth about who we are and shows us our need that's what conviction is accusation and condemnation is to destroy and to manipulate and to control so these people 5,000 men plus women and children it was a large, large number of people and they had come a long way they were out in the wilderness and up in the hills Outside of Galilee, there, and there was nothing around. They didn't have any uh, little uh, little convenience stores out there. There wasn't anything. There wasn't a whole lot um, out there. There were some small villages around, but these small villages, even if they took all the food in the whole village, they couldn't have fed this many people. And of course, people in the village weren't about to do that. <laughs> so they're out there in the middle of nowhere. And this small boy comes up with five barley loaves, that would be like a dinner roll, and two fish. That's it. A sack lunch that his mother made him in case he got hungry. Enough food to feed one small boy. Jesus takes it, prays over it, and every single person received, every single person had all they wanted And there was an abundance, we find in the other Gospels, 12 basketfuls left over. When God begins to meet your needs, He doesn't just meet your need. It's an abundance. We can't receive uh, the blessings that God has in store for us. We don't have the capacity. So they thought this was a good idea. So in John chapter 6, I'm reading starting with verse 13. So they gathered them up, all the leftovers, because Jesus said, pick up all the fragments. We don't want any, anything to be lost. No waste in the kingdom of God. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Now verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This indeed is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So, here it is again. These people are coming. Uh, You know, if you have a ruler that gives you free food, and not just free food, food, all that you can eat, and there's men plus women and children here so not just you your whole family and you didn't have to do anything you didn't have to work you didn't have to harvest you didn't have to fix anything up you just had to sit, come over here and sit down in small groups and somebody came and gave you all that you ever needed pretty good deal well let's make this guy king and they're going to tell Jesus later on you remember Moses they ate manna in the wilderness every day for 40 years what about you Jesus so Jesus perceived because he knew what was in the hearts of men that they were about to come and start a revolution that's what they were going to do start a revolt they're going to take him by force make him a king If a guy can take a couple of pieces of bread and a couple of fish and feed all these people, surely he can deal with the Roman army. I don't know if they thought it through or if they just thought about their belly. But they were going to come and try to make him king by force. Jesus did not entrust himself to them either, did he? Now, it's an amazing thing as you read through John chapter 6. <clears throat> he begins to uh, they follow him and he, of course they, he, Jesus walks on the water and all that and uh, they were there and the next day this was during the night Jesus had gone up to pray the disciples had gotten in the boat those as many as could find the boat the rest of them had to walk all the way back to town <clears throat> which they did next day the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples but his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats came from Tiberias and they took the people that had had the bread um, <clears throat> and they went and they all gathered together again back at, um, back at the, on the other side of the sea. When they found Jesus they said, When did you come here? Uh, We saw the disciples, they got in the boat, you didn't get in. And you weren't with us, and you weren't with the group that walked. How did you get here? And so Jesus begins to talk to them about the crucial issues. He always does that. We come with our own desire for knowledge and quest, our own curiosity. Nicodemus says, we know you're a teacher come from God. And Jesus said, wait a minute, unless you're born again, you'll never even see the kingdom of God. And so Jesus spoke to the heart of the matter. In this case, the heart of Nicodemus. Now he's speaking to these people. When did you get here? How did you get here? You came not because of the miracle, you came because of the food. Do you ever notice when you have a, a potluck dinner or something, you have more people? <laughs> Come to a Bible study on Monday. You wouldn't have to bring much food for the potluck. <laughs> There's about three of us. <laughs> so, maybe we need to have potluck, Norm. So anyway... He began to speak to the heart of the matter. And as he began to speak to them about commitment and about entering into the fullness of what it means to know him, not just an awareness, not just an acquaintance, but a, a depth of commitment that allows his life to enter into us and become our life. Because when you eat food, That food goes into every living cell of your body. And it's transformed from whatever you ate to flesh and blood in you. And Jesus is telling these crowd of people, uh, you need to have that kind of relationship with God. That the Word of God enters into us and affects every single cell of our body. Every part of our soul, every part of our spirit is receiving life and health and wholeness because of the word of God now their response changed now remember verse 15 they were about to come and take him by force to make him a king and then you get to verse 66 after this many of his disciples Turned back and no longer walked with him. Notice what he says there. He didn't say many of the scoffers. He didn't say many of the mockers. He didn't say many of the unbelievers. What it says is many of his disciples. That's people who had started to follow him. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him that's an interesting phrase the original language says this, listen carefully from this time many of his disciples went away into the things behind and no longer walked with him they went back to their old ways the things behind they had initially started out as disciples they had left those things they had given up those sins those addictions, those habits they had left those behind and had been walking with Jesus, but when he starts talking about this kind of commitment then they turned back, what did they turn back to? the things that they had left behind, they went back into the old lifestyle, the old ways of thinking the old ways of responding, the old attitudes, the old verbiage that coming out of their mouth they went back They weren't walking with him anymore. Disciples. People who had made commitments and had begun walking with him. They went back to the things behind. Now you remember that the disciples thought about this, didn't they? In John 21, after the resurrection, even after Jesus had appeared to them after the resurrection, and they knew, touched his body, and knew that he was alive they still weren't sure what to do so they went back to Galilee and what did they do? Peter says I'm going fishing he wasn't taking a holiday he was going to go back to his old job go back to the former lifestyle that he had before he met met Jesus but Jesus wouldn't let him go this is why the good shepherd seeks for the lost sheep those sheep aren't wild sheep. They're not sheep that just don't belong to anybody. These are sheep that belong to the shepherd. That's why he goes looking for them because they are his. And so many people have put their hand to the plow and turned their back and Jesus said, if you do that, you're not fit. You're not worthy of the kingdom of heaven. You can't go back to the old ways. Because if you've ever once experienced anything at all of the grace of God in your life, the old ways aren't the old ways anymore. They don't satisfy like they used to. You don't get the kick or the thrill that you used to get because you know better. You know better. And so you're miserable back there and you're miserable up here. You're just miserable. But the good news is Jesus is looking for you. He's coming to search for you for you if you are lost and he's going to come and bring you back home where you belong. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3 verse 13, now this is toward the end of his life, Uh, he's got this great ministry that we read about in the letters, with all of its ups and downs, with all of its victories and triumphs, with all of its sorrows and pain and suffering, and the victory that's been won through all of that. And this is what he writes, Philippians 3.13. I don't count myself as already have attained. Paul says, I know I've got a long way to go. But One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. This same word that John uses in John 6.66 forgetting those things that are behind and straining forward to what lies ahead I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus so in John 2 Jesus did not entrust himself to those people because he knew their heart in John 6, when they wanted to make him a king, he did not entrust himself because he knew what was in heart in their heart. At the end of that chapter, we find that he is justified in not making that kind of a commitment because now those who had made promises and started on the road decide to go home. Go back to the old ways of doing things. Paul will tell us they're walking out of the light back into the darkness. Peter says it's like a dog going back to its vomit. Uh, why would you do that? Or a pig going back to wallow in the mire when you've been washed, when you've been cleansed, when you've been set free. And Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you have been free indeed in truth. You're really free. And so you have a choice to make now. And if we choose to go back, and we can choose to do that because that's part of the freedom, then we're heading back to the vomit we're heading back to the mud and the mire and the muck Paul talks about not using our freedom as a cloak for sin because the Corinthians were saying I've been set free, I've been cleansed I can do whatever, all things are permissible to me and Paul says that's true you are free and all those things are permissible for you But are you looking at yourself or is your eyes on the Lord? All things don't benefit. All things don't build people up. They don't edify. They don't draw you closer to God. Why would you want to participate in something that alienates you from the God who gives you life? And so, as Christians, how are we using our freedom? In John 15... And this is the good news. It tells us repeatedly in John's gospel that Jesus knew his disciples from the beginning. He says he knew who it was that was going to betray him. And yet, on a daily basis, he walked with Judas Iscariot, participated, let him engage in ministry. And he did. Can you imagine that? When the disciples went out by twos, Judas was one of those. And when they came back and reported the victories, Judas was one of those. God can use a donkey. He can use a sinful man. He's going to speak prophetically through Caiaphas, the high priest. And God is going to speak prophetically through that man. He doesn't even know him. God is going to speak prophetically through some of these kings from Babylon and, other in, and uh, Persia. These guys didn't even know who God was, but God used them, ministered through them to God's people. So just because God uses us doesn't mean that we have any depth of commitment or walk in our Lord, does it? God will use. They, on the, when they rode into um, Jerusalem, the Pharisees and the priests said to Jesus, Rebuke your disciples. And he said, Look, if I tell them to stop, the very stones would cry out. God can use a rock. He can use people like us. So Jesus knowing that and knowing that these men were going to deny him and and run away from him, in John fifteen, he starts talking about the vine and the vine dresser. Um, the vineyard. And Jesus, in John 15, entrusts himself to these men. He said, I haven't called you servants anymore. I've called you friends. Because a friend uh, knows what he's doing. And he says this, verse 15... I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. He wants to continue that ministry and he will if we are open to him. All that Jesus has heard from the Father he wants to make known to us. That's the word of life that he imparts to us. You did not choose me, I chose you. Now these are men that are going to deny him. Fallible. People, people like us. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit shall last. It literally should abide. Your fruit will live. It's not dead fruit. It's a live fruit produced through you by the Spirit of God. And so there are those who Jesus doesn't entrust himself to and there are those that he does and either way when God chooses us when he appoints us it's all based on grace isn't it it's not achievement it's not who we know it's not how powerful how well known uh, how wealthy it's not of any of those things it's the plans and purposes of God so in Matthew 11 I like this verse we know part of it but we forget the context he's been condemning upbraiding the cities around the sea of Galilee Chorazin and Bethsaida also Tyre and Sidon Capernaum um, that Capernaum was where Jesus lived that was where his home was after he left Nazareth he even talks about Sodom and Gomorrah And he says, those cities will be better off than you because if they had seen and heard what you've seen and heard, they would have repented long ago. So at that time, verse 25, Matthew 11, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." What is he teaching them? Come to me take my yoke upon you and learn from me. They're learning that God's love for you is unconditional and he will die to make that a reality. I am gentle and lowly in heart you will find rest in your souls my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you ever find life just to be a burden? You wake up in the morning and instead of greeting the new day, you think, oh no, it's another day. You ever have that kind of thing? You're, You're pulling the wrong yoke. You're pulling the wrong yoke. The yoke of the Lord is easy and His burden is light because He's walking with you through whatever that day brings, through whatever circumstance and the circumstances that we face many of them are, are great and blessings there's lots of temptations there's a lot of heartache there's a lot of sorrow and grief and pain but the yoke of the Lord is easy and light because he is with us you know David said yea though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for thou art with me and so he can walk through that shadow The opposite side of that is that we can climb the mountain of life and we can have the light of life because the Lord is present with us. So whether we're down in the valley or struggling up the mountain, we are assured of the presence, of the grace, of the compassion and mercy and strength that Christ gives us because he is with us. And he has entrusted himself to those of us who have received him deep within our hearts. So does he trust himself to you? Uh, Are we still struggling with the things behind? Or have we really been set free from those and entering into the freedom of the fullness of life? Let's pray. To crown you Lord of life. Hosanna to the King. Glory in the highest. Lord, we pray that you would make that a reality in each of our hearts today Hosanna save us O Lord through your grace and mercy in your son Jesus in whose name we pray amen so as we go into our communion this morning um, we know the symbolism of the bread and the wine is the body and blood of Christ that's what he was talking about in John chapter 6 when people decided to, to go back they, didn't, they couldn't receive that and um, after he entered into Jerusalem on that day he went and taught in the temple and John chapter 12 says the first thing he started talking about is a kernel of wheat unless the kernel of wheat dies there can be no life but if it dies There's an abundant of life. And Jesus sealed that and he became that which becomes for us bread of life. Because on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. After he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body and it's broken for you. After supper, he took the cup and after he had given thanks he gave it to his disciples saying take each of you and drink from this cup this cup is a new covenant in my blood a new relationship that we can enter into with God through the blood of Christ it's for the forgiveness of sins and he asked each of us to drink from that so as we come we we remember the broken body and the shed blood I always thought um Good Friday was a bit of a a misnomer. Um, Good for who? We call it Good Friday because on that day, Jesus died for us. For us, it was good news because it meant that our sins have been forgiven because the penalty, the guilt, the shame, the debt, the death was laid upon him at that time. So we call it Good Friday from our perspective. And it's a Good Friday from God's perspective because it's God. And his son, reaching down to us, the shepherd seeking the lost sheep and saying, come home where you belong. And he invites us to come this morning. Will those who are serving communion please come forward.